you please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8. And the message today is entitled, The Light of God's Word. We introduced you to Isaiah last week and this encounter he had with the very holy God and his response is, I'm not worthy. And then the seraphim touch his lips with a burning coal. It transforms his life and he has this call now to a prophetic ministry. And here we pick things up in Isaiah chapter 8 as he speaks some things over the nation of Judah. We're going to actually start in verse 11, but before we begin... Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless this time in His Word uh, together. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for this time as we gather around Your Word. I recognize that this is a very supernatural thing. So we don't come to Your Word with a complacency or a distracted heart. We want to focus on what it is that You want to say because... The words you have are inspired. And so, Lord, I I just pray that you would quiet our hearts in this space so that we can receive all that it is that you want to give us today. Help us to respond. And I pray also, Lord, for our children's ministry. Bless them as they study and learn about Christ and his love. Thank you for our children's ministry. We lift this time to you and ask your blessing upon it. Amen. All right. Isaiah chapter 8, starting in verse 11. We'll read basically through 22. The Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everyone else does. He said, don't call everything a conspiracy like they do, and don't live in dread of what frightens them. Make the Lord of heaven's armies holy in your life. He is the one you should fear. He is the one who should make you tremble. He will keep you safe. But to Israel and Judah, he will be a stone that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap or a snare. Many will stumble and fall, never to rise again. They will be snared and captured. Preserve the teaching of God. Entrust his instructions to those who follow me. I will wait for the Lord who has turned, who has turned away from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my hope in him. I and the children the Lord has given me serve as signs and warnings to Israel from the Lord of heaven's armies who dwells in his temple on Mount Zion. Someone may say to you, let's ask ask the mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead. With their whisperings and mutterings, they will tell us what to do. But shouldn't people ask God for guidance? Shouldn't the living seek guidance, or should the living seek guidance from the dead? Look to God's instructions and teachings. People who contradict His word are completely in the dark. They will go from one place to another, weary and hungry. And because they are hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God. They will look up to heaven and down at the earth, but wherever they look, 
There will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. They will be thrown out in the darkness. And that's where we're going to stop here today. And I just want to kind of walk us through this here as Isaiah is speaking. I want to start here with verse 11. And I think this is a refreshing word for us today. He says, The Lord has given me a strong warning not to think like everyone else does. Makes me think of the Bible verse, Romans 12, 2, where the Scriptures say, Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. That's going to lead you astray. Romans 12 goes on to say, Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. And so through the power of God's Word and through the power of the Holy Spirit, God begins to transform our mind, and we don't think like the world thinks. God changes us. There was a day we used to think like the world, but God changes us. And transforms us. And if you're not careful, if you're not on a daily basis, on a consistent basis, allowing God to continue to transform your mind, the world is loud. The world likes to get us off track. and wants us to copy its behavior. But there's a strong warning that Isaiah had been given. Don't think like everybody else. That'll get you into trouble. That'll lead you astray. When we let God transform us into a new person by changing the way in which we think, the Bible goes on to say that you will learn to know God's will for your life, which is good and it's pleasing and it's perfect. How many of you want to know God's will? Okay, I think all of us have that desire. And what the Scriptures are saying is, well then get out of the world and into the Word. And allow God to transform, and as He transforms, then you'll be able to discern His will, what He desires you to do. It's not a guessing game. God gives us instructions. And we receive those instructions, and then we apply them into our life. I want to address verse 12. might scratch your head when he says, Don't call everything a conspiracy. Who's got their tinfoil hat on today? Anybody? But it says, Don't live in dread of what frightens these people. And I want to address what he means by conspiracy. The issue here is that Judah was starting to make some agreements with foreign nations. They're beginning to cozy up to foreign nations because they felt like they could be protected in those treaties, in those agreements. If I cozy up to this foreign power, we'll be better off. And Isaiah's like, no, don't do that. Trust in God's power. That's so much better, so much more reliable. Don't depend on these foreign nations who don't even acknowledge God as their Lord. Go to God instead. And that Right there, they're calling him out for this like conspiracy guy. And so Isaiah's saying, hey, look, don't call everything a conspiracy. You know, like saying I want to actually put God first instead of all these other things. That's not a conspiracy. That's just truth. And Isaiah is saying, don't call everything a conspiracy. And don't live in dread. The reason why they're cozying up to foreign things is because they're scared. We do some funny things when we're scared, don't we? 
we cozy up to some pretty foreign things of the Lord. Not even of the Lord. They're just flat out foreign. But instead, we should actually fear God. And that is addressed in verse 13. Isaiah says, Make the Lord of heaven's armies holy, which means to be set apart. We talked about that last week. Make him set apart, exalted. He's the one you should fear. Stop fearing all this other stuff. Fear God. That's who you should fear. He's the one that should make you tremble. So we make the Lord, number one, we fear Him. We set Him apart. You know, this is coming from Isaiah who had that encounter we talked about last week. If it's like, if there's anybody who's got the, the street cred or the credentials or the ability to say, hey, guess what? I think we should take God serious. It's Isaiah. That man was in the presence of God, and he, at that point, is like, there's nothing to fear besides God. I've experienced that. We should fear God. We should fear God. The fa a family life Bible says a healthy fear of God calms our nerves and helps us to see the universe as it truly is, safe and secure in God's very competent hands. God knows what He's doing. It says the fear of God can deliver you from the fear of man. And since the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, no home can be built successfully without it. And also in the Gospel Transformation Bible, it says Christians are called to live their lives quorum Deo, which means in the presence of or before the face of God, rather than living quorum omnibus, which is in the presence or before the face of man. Sometimes we fear man and we elevate that above fearing God. What's man going to do? What's man going to think? When really we need to be weighing matters, what does God think? What is God going to do? With that statement, it says, in other words, we must always recognize that our ultimate audience is God. The Bible thus calls us to fear God and not man, but this can be such a challenge for us when our circumstances and all that we see Make us fear. We're susceptible to that. How many of you have ever been susceptible to fear? Can you raise your hand with me? Yeah. Okay, so some of you that have no fear, or I don't know. But we so easily can be caught up in fear. And it can seize us. But a proper fear of God should be able to help us not to fear these other things. God is so much bigger than the circumstances. He's so much bigger than the things we walk through. He's so much bigger than man. If you're fearing man right now, may the Lord release you from that fear. He goes on to address this stumbling block. Now we're talking about Christ and how He will become a stumbling block to Israel. 
It says in verse 14, He's going to keep you safe, but to Israel and Judah He will become a stone that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall. So a stone of stumbling or a rock of offense, this is going to be Jesus, and Israel's going to struggle with Him. But what's interesting is, for those who put their trust in Christ, He becomes a safe place. Some translations call that a sanctuary. Jesus becomes refuge for those who put their trust in Him, but for those who stumble over the message of Jesus Christ, they'll continue to walk around without peace, without that feeling of security. Those who refuse Christ will stumble. And so a great question for all of us is, what is Jesus to you? Is He a refuge? That place of sanctuary, that place of safety? Or do you stumble over that? As we carry on here in verse 16, Isaiah talks about preserving the teaching of God and entrusting His instructions to those who follow Him. Trusting God's instructions to those who follow Isaiah. So a prophet... Maybe have some people walking around with him, and as he makes statements, there's people writing this stuff down. Isaiah said this. Let's write it down. They write it down. We'll see if this comes true. Okay? So one of the things he's saying is preserve the words that I'm saying right now, but I think something for us today is we have these words. Are we preserving them in our life? Are we entrusting the instructions of God on from generation to generation. We have a responsibility. If you don't have kids, there's a whole world of kids here at our church. You're welcome to help serve. But we pass along from generation to generation these instructions of the Lord. How many of you believe God's Word is important? And that it's important enough to pass along? Okay, let's take that verse 16 to heart. Let's pass on. God's instructions to people. We would do well to do so. Verse 17. Here's where the rubber hits the road a little bit on life. He says, I will wait for the Lord who's turned away from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my hope in Him. How many have ever been in the waiting room of life before? You've got something that you're asking the Lord to provide or show up and do, and you feel like you're just waiting, and you're waiting, and then somebody over there gets their answer to prayer, and you're celebrating with that, and then you're thinking, I'm still here waiting, and I'm waiting. Have you ever been in a waiting room at a doctor's office or anything like that, and you just waited, and you waited, and you waited? One time I was at the doctor's office and I was in the room. You know how you get the conversation with the first person and then we wait for the doctor to show up. And the wall on the other side was that doctor working with somebody. And you can't hear the conversation, but you can hear that they're talking. And I don't know if that guy had 150 questions, but that day I felt like I just sat there and waited and waited. And I feel like it's one thing to wait in the waiting room, and then it's another thing to wait actually in the room you're supposed to be seeing the doctor. And I don't fully understand why when there's things on our heart, sometimes it feels like we wait and we wait and we wait. And Isaiah says, while you're in the waiting room, that's a perfect place to hope. 
to hope. So as we wait, if there's things that are on our hearts that we're praying about, I pray that you would continue in hope that God will show up and he'll meet you in the waiting room. How many of you have ever been in the waiting room and eventually God does show up? Right? And he provides. And I think when you're in the waiting room, then in the future, you can recall those moments when you've been waiting and go, you know, eventually God did show up. God did meet me in that. But we don't like waiting, do we? We want things now. Right? Am I the only one that wants things right now? And you're all looking at me like, this is, you know, I, we're fine waiting, Russ. <laughs> but we, this is life. Is it not? But there is something that happens in the waiting, and there's this powerful little truth that says strength will rise when we wait on the Lord. God doesn't abandon us in our waiting. God builds us in our waiting. God does things in us while we're waiting. I say one of the scariest things to pray for is patience. Have you ever heard that before? So it's like, well, what does that mean? What's coming my way that I'm going to have to learn how to be patient? God teaches us things in the waiting room. In verse 18, Isaiah goes on, he says, I and the children the Lord has given me, they serve as signs and warnings to Israel from the Lord of heaven's armies. What's interesting here, and i got to give some kudos right now to Linda Whaley. She was stuck with that child's name, Mahir Shalah Hashbaz. You know, I haven't seen a prayer chain email go through, congratulations to this family and their new child, Mahir Shalah Hashbaz. That's quite a name. But that name actually carries meaning. And that meaning is being plundered and carried away. There was a prophetic statement in that child's name that as they continued as a nation in disobedience, there's going to come a point where they will be plundered and taken into captivity. But God doesn't leave us in these places of disparity. One of his other child's name was Sheer Jacob, which means a remnant shall return. There is hope. Even in the midst of the, of the waiting. Isaiah, he went before the people and said, See my two sons, God has given them to me with specific names as a warning to you. Before my youngest son will be able to speak, the Assyrian army will attack and plunder. But my older son is a symbol of hope. And there will be a remnant. So we transition here to the last few verses. 19, 20. 21 and 22. But I want to just camp out on verse 19 here for a second. It says, Someone may say to you, Let's ask mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead. With their whisperings and their mutterings, they'll tell us what to do. And then he says, But shouldn't people ask God for guidance? A while back in our King's series, I broke down a moment here where uh, King Saul goes to this witch of Endor because he wants to talk with Samuel, who's dead. 
The prophet Samuel counseled King Saul, but when King Saul died, he wanted that counsel. How do I talk to a dead prophet? I know. I'll go to this witch who can call him back from the dead. And during that message, I said, that's playing with fire. And if you think about this, demonic realm, if Satan can confuse people about the reality of either a heaven or a hell, and that somehow you can call people back from the dead, Satan will do that to confuse the truth of eternity. And so I think when people speak to the dead, they're speaking to demons who watch people's lives go down, who watch and listen to people's conversations. And so if they're going to somebody who can, again, consult with the dead, these demons can give them the history. And sometimes there might be a message from that family member. And they said, remember when I said this? And the family member's like, oh, we're talking to Aunt Ruth. Well, no, actually you're talking to a demon who watched your conversation with Aunt Ruth. But in that moment when King Saul addresses that he wants to see Samuel and this witch in Endor calls Samuel forward. She thinks she's going to be talking to a demon. But Samuel actually shows up. And that passage, if you remember, she's startled. She did not expect to see Samuel. But there he was. And Samuel came back from the dead. God allowed this because then Samuel spoke judgment over King Saul. Playing with fire consulting these mediums and those who can consult the spirits of the dead. And then Isaiah says, shouldn't we be asking God for guidance? And think of all the places that people go for help besides God. You know, they may not run to the extreme and go try to consult the dead, but we can run to a lot of things. We can run to a lot of things. And Johnny Erickson Tata says that in confusing times, we can be tempted to seek wisdom from worldly sources that promise security. Then she goes on to say, but the word of the living God is trustworthy. Even if it takes longer for us to see the fulfillment of the promises we get from the word and even if it means we experience a bit of suffering in the meantime. This kind of goes along with the waiting room, doesn't it? Because we want things right now, and so since we really are bad at waiting and waiting on the Lord, we jump to other things, and it gets us into a whole world of problems. And Isaiah's asking the question, shouldn't we go to God for guidance And let that be a challenge to all of us. Let's not go to that easy button. The quick fix that actually gets us into a whole mess later on. Go to God for guidance. So then there's this final call in the last three verses. Look to God's instructions and His teachings. People who contradict His word are completely in the dark. So that was our memory verse this past week. But these last three verses, to me, kind of brought the title of this message together. About God's light. God's light is a 
blessing. And folks, darkness is this place of despair. And God brings light into our lives. He says those who contradict His Word, they're living completely in the dark. And it says they go from one place to another, they're weary, they're hungry, and because they're hungry, then they rage and they curse their king and their God. And you know what's interesting about that verse right there is what it's saying is sometimes people go out and they start making foolish decisions that are contrary to God's word, and then when they start to reap the consequences of those bad decisions, then they turn around and they get mad at God. You can see how Satan can just start to swirl this. Come make bad choices. Then once you've made bad choices, okay, now get angry at God for making the bad choices that you made. That's part of living in the dark. People that are in the dark, they wander, they're tired, they're hungry or hangry, and they rage and they curse. They blame God for their own bad decisions. It's this whirlwind. And it even goes on to say they'll look up to heaven and down at the earth, but wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. And then this last little piece, they'll be thrown out into the darkness. God has provided his light through his word, the scriptures, but also through the word, Jesus Christ. This light of the world has come to bring us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And he draws us. He draws us in. And when we say yes to Jesus Christ, our life changes we move from darkness to light and things become more clear in His Word. We begin to understand His Word in a much better way and, and there's just a change that takes place and we want to live for Him and we want to make good decisions. God puts that desire in our life, but it takes that encounter of His light. And so the light comes to us at salvation and we begin to walk in light. And one of the verses I put up there is Psalm 119, 105. That God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. As we walk out our faith journey, we can know God's will because His word lights the path and we walk in His ways. But if you take that lamp and you shut it, and there it sits, and then you expect to go out and walk with everything lit up for you, I'm sorry, that's not how this works. God has a grace. He will intercede for you. But if you want to really engage in what God is asking of your life, you bring the Word into the equation, and you can see a lot more clearly. So talking about darkness, people that don't have Christ, people that don't have the Word, Isaiah is saying they live in darkness. But a very scary thing is if they don't ever bring the light of Jesus Christ in their life before they take their final breath, the very end of that verse in 22 says they will be thrown out into darkness. That opportunity for light is over. That's why it's so important for people that when they come to the light, they respond to it. Jesus wants to change your life. He wants 
to bring you out of darkness into light and light your path from this day forward and to live forever, not in darkness, but in his light. That's God's desire. So how do we respond today? A variety of ways. One that comes to mind right away is let's not copy the, the behavior of the world. Okay? God desires us to be holy, to be set apart from the world, and he desires us to fear him, so we fear him. We don't fear things of the world. We don't fear man, any of that. We put our faith and trust in him, and while we go through life, there's going to be things that we're going to be waiting on, and while we're waiting, just recognize that God is our source of strength and our hope. And as we carry on, we, we recognize there's going to be things we come to in the easy button. We try to run to these things sometimes, and it gets us into a whole lot more trouble. Let's just get God's guidance first. But let's walk in the light. God desires to bring that light into our lives. He doesn't desire you to just stay in darkness. Come to the light. Would you pray with me as we close? Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I'm thankful that you did not leave us in darkness. But Lord, you sent the light. And Lord, I just pray that as we reflect on this passage today, the things that you desire to speak into our lives, I pray that we would grab on to those things by the power and the help of your spirit. Lord, help us to not copy the world. Help us to set you apart. You are holy. Help us to fear you and not these other things. Lord, I pray that we would come to you as our refuge, our, our sanctuary, our place of safety. Pray that we would preserve your word in our lives first and as we pass it on to others. Father, I pray that as we wait, things we continue to ask for give us strength and hope in the meantime. And these things we're waiting on, Lord, we ask for your help. And Father, I thank you that we can go to you for guidance. You desire that. Help us not to run to other things instead. And Father, I also, I pray that we would be people of light. And Lord, if there's someone right now that they feel that they're living in darkness but it's time to address that. And Lord, I invite that individual to confess and repent, turn to you to change their life. Lord, you are shining on them, drawing them into a relationship, but they must address the issue of sin. But you paid the penalty and the price for that sin so they could be set free. 
and brought from darkness to light. If there's someone listening right now that desires to have Christ transform their life, then I invite you to pray with me to receive him today. Just pray with me in your heart and say, Jesus, I desire you to be in my life. Today I'm asking for forgiveness of my sin. Today I'm asking you to to bring me from darkness into your amazing, marvelous light. Transform my life. And help me. Help me to serve in your kingdom. Help me to know that this is no longer about me, but it's all about you. So guide me in this life through your spirit. And I thank you for this gift of salvation. And I pray this right now. In Jesus' name, amen.